Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of uh, the Laughter for All podcast. I am comedian Nazareth coming to you from Corona, California. Yes, Corona, California. And I am excited to have my guest today, who's a very good friend of mine. Very good friend means we don't talk much only if we're performing together. We're at the Christian Comedy Conference or somewhere where we in. Other than that, our conversation is to a minimum uh, like, hey, have you done this gig? What do you think of that client? How much did they pay you? And other than that, we don't know anything about uh, the other person. But this is, in my opinion, and I, after 30 years of doing comedy, I think my opinion in comedy kind of counts. This is one of the best comedy writers who can take his writing and perform it in an amazing, amazing way on stage. So please welcome to the stage, my friend from Indiana, John Brennan, how are you? I am, I'm great. It was, it, I've never been thrown into a live conversation before and then simultaneously asked to share said conversation at the same time. So I'm- uh, Are you able to share it on your Facebook? We can still talk, it's fine. No, I, well, I'm, that's what I'm working on, but I'm trying to multitask. Okay, it's okay. We, we're men. We, we're able. We're allowed to multitask at the same time. Or, or call your wife. She can do it. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> no. So I'm gonna. So I'm gonna go over to my picture. Okay, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, John Brennan, you are from Indiana. Where in Indiana are you? I live in the middle of Indiana. If you take your finger, any any finger, you can take your thumb, and drop it right in the center of the state, about an inch above Indianapolis, then your thumb or your finger will be on my hometown, which is Kokomo. Oh, you're from Kokomo. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, there's another Kokomo that people want to go to. What are you, are you implying that people don't want to go to my Kokomo? No, but I i mean, if I have to take my entire hand to find your Kokomo, I think I'm going somewhere else for vacation. Well, it's uh, it's great. We've got a giant cow. Um, we've got a giant sycamore stump. We've got uh, the world's first automobile. And we have a big mental, a big metal praying mantis. This is just a few of the things brag, that brag. would give you a reason to come here. Brag, brag, brag. <laughs> we don't have that in California. But uh, so, were you born? Were you born in Indiana? Yes, I was born in the no in the uh, northern part of Indiana in a town called Valparaiso, which is where Orville Redenbacher is from. You heard of Ooh. Orville oh, Redenbacher? Yes. Of Popcorn. course, I, I used to be able before uh, BC, before coronavirus, able to travel, uh, go to the movies. And oh, that's nice. So uh, what do you call it? So uh, what is Indiana like right now? Because in California, I don't know, we think that the whole country is like us, but it's not. Uh, we are stuck. We are on, uh, what do you call it? Sheltering in place. Everything's closed back. No schools, no nail salons, no haircuts and restaurants only outside. What is it like right now where you're at in Indiana? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was like that in California. I thought, so you guys are still not able to move around. Look at your little, look at your little coffee cup. That little tiny, oh. tiny. Oh, the, yeah, and this is uh, from New Zealand, Kokomo, New Zealand. And this is my my son when he went to new zealand before the pandemic everything bc and he got me this it's a turkish coffee i'm drinking turkish coffee i would love to to get you one but uh <laughs> yeah well so how is indiana please, i would, are I you would guys... like to drink coffee out of a little barbie cup like that <laughs> are you guys are you guys scared is there people around you concerned or is this whole thing it's great what do you think well, in Indiana, there are some people who are scared. There's people all over the country who are who are scared. Um, but we are where I live. It's it's relatively uh, it's 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 all opened up again for the most part. 
so you can mm -hmm. go places. But they're starting to say that you are supposed to wear masks in grocery stores, and so we're going we're going back to that um, as a result of yeah of people being being afraid. See, we gone. have to wear masks. Uh, it's uh, it's what do you call it? It's mandatory. You cannot like not only you cannot enter a business or a grocery store or any place without a mask. You just can't. What do you call it? You can't even uh, people start getting mad at you because you don't wear a mask. Right. Like, hey, what are you doing? So that's uh, OK. So I'm sharing this to so to hear some people be going to be asking questions. But uh, so what made you one, you know, want to become a comedian what 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 have how long ago what what have the what what are you doing i know you were in working for a university if i remember correctly uh, i actually worked at a print shop so you're thinking of somebody else who worked at a university no university would have me nazareth i wouldn't last i wouldn't last a week at a university before i no, said something and got kicked out wouldn't you talk about janitorial stuff or you did is that you um, am i it's is a, a oh a janitor at a university that might be something i could do um no i i, I never did uh i never did that are okay. you sure are you sure that you wanted to have an interview with me today and you weren't thinking of somebody else are, is your name Ken David? No, I'm just kidding. Of course. No, 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 no. Uh, remember, we were at the CCA and you shared your story how you and your wife uh, met. Is this am I is this bringing memories? Yeah, we met at university, but I wasn't. Uh -huh. I, I never worked. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes, I've I have been on campuses, but I never worked at one. When I when I started doing comedy, I worked at a uh, office supply store selling computers and I got fired um, from that <laughs> job and so I mowed lawns for a little while and then I started working at a print shop and and when when was your first time on stage when was it uh first time on stage in a comedy club was November yeah. of 1990 and November 90 yeah, 1990, and oh, it was an open so mic. We started the same year. Yeah, and I I expected that I would go down, do the open mic, be terrible, and uh, and that would be the end of it. I had no no aspirations to ever do comedy long term as a career. <laughs> and how did it go with the audience that night? It went it went great. It went a lot better than I anticipated it would go and I didn't know I didn't have any real gauge for how I was doing because I'd never done comedy before I didn't know what was supposed to happen but the uh, the guy who was running the open mic who was one of the regular headliners at the club uh, back in the 90s you know open mics they kind of cared about open mics back then they don't care about them as much anymore so you don't really see headliners but uh he came up afterwards and he said, man, if that was your first time, that was really good. You should come back. And I said, oh, OK. Well, and and I so I did. I came back and it was just a hobby. I did comedy. You know, I did open mics for a few years and I kept my day job. And then I started getting work as an MC at the comedy club and I kept my day job. So I worked during the day and then I would go down and do an MC shows in the evening. Um, and. And again, I didn't really have any any desire to go on the road, and so I never had to. I, I had enough work uh, just in Indianapolis between the the local clubs that that I had a lot of work. I, I would do a lot of MC work. I didn't do any feature work, and I didn't headline. I just I just did MC work, and that was how I that was how I built my my material. Now, 30 years ago, the material we did, uh, the, the comedy we chose to do is completely different. So I want your take right now on this whole thing about political correctness and, you know, people cannot say certain things and stuff. I want your honest opinion. Just lay it on us. Are you allowed to talk about that in California? Yes, yes I am allowed. I mean, I'm, I'm the only conservative left in California, so I'm going to. 
just milk it. Uh, well, the uh, the thing that is that political correctness has changed into is a monstrosity called uh, called critical theory, and critical theory is even worse than political correctness. It's like the it's like the adult version of that beast, political correctness, because critical theory now uh, says that anybody who is of a particular group, you've got oppressors and you have got the oppressed, and those are you have to be in one of those two groups. And so you, if you are not oppressed, then you are an oppressor. There is no, there's no middle ground. And so how that has affected comedy is that if you are a person who is standing up on stage making fun of anything, then you are a person who has power and you are oppressing. Now, any person that you are making fun of, you are oppressing. And so that just basically sucks all of the joy and laughter out of a room. It's not possible to be funny anymore because everybody is either being offensive or being offended. Those are the only two categories that we have now. And it's, it's ruined everything. So how are you handled when you, when they're writing right now, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you, do you consider that like, Oh, I can't talk about this or. Uh, I, I did for a few years. I, I was um, trying to be sensitive because, you know, we, we Christian people are supposed to be sensitive to each other and we're supposed to, to accommodate each other and live at peace with each other. And so there were a few years where, where I was trying to do that. And uh, it's not possible to do <laughs> It's not as a comedian. No, it's not possible. And so I don't worry about that anymore. I, I have become convicted that my job is to is still to be funny, is still to address things in, in a lighthearted way as much as possible, but I have to be truthful. I'm called to, to say true things and there is nothing more offensive than the truth. So if you, if you stand up and proclaim things that are true, you're going to get hammered. And uh, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't easy the first couple of times it happened to me, but I'm starting to get used to it. Now, do you notice, like, uh, I I'm assuming mostly you do Christian audiences, mostly, right? Uh, well, we could talk about I that, know you too. Do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I know you do all corporates and stuff and clean. But how yeah. was the reaction, like, when you, when you try to be truthful and honest and still sensitive Christian-wise, how was the reaction from, from your audience? Uh, well, it it's... My act is still pretty uh, non-political and and non-controversial. I, I didn't get I don't get into a lot of trouble because I don't cover topics that are intentionally, you know, hot buttons. Um, but I started to get in hot water um, with Christian crowds saying things like um, it is better to remain married than to get divorced and uh, and marriage should happen between men and women and that's it. And it just just things like that will get you into trouble now. Um, In a Christian uh, yes. setting. Yes, because- and women, ah. Yeah, well, because, because there are people in the church who are, who are underneath this critical theory. Uh, it, it's a false religion. And so there are people in the church who believe that that I am being aggressive and that I am oppressing uh, women or divorced people or or single people or uh, uh, gay people or transgender people or any any I'm oppressing people when I say that I think, for example, um, that it's it's better to not get divorced. Um, just just saying things like that oppresses people who have been divorced. And there are millions of divorced people in the Christian church and they are ready to fight me about that. You know, remember when comedy started originally, we were the gestures that uh, the king allowed for us to say anything we want without getting our head cut off. 
because he he wanted to know the state of the kingdom. And I think that's what comedians are. We are able to reflect on what's going on in life and without being judged or killed for it. And that's not, uh, it's not the case anymore. <laughs> so No, no, it is not. There is a, uh, and, and Christian people are not exempt from that. There are a lot of, of Christian people that, that occupy the churches or used to occupy space in church. They don't anymore. Um, but who, who have a narrative that they want to hear. And if you don't proclaim that narrative to them, then you will be in trouble. There are, there are, I've gotten in trouble for being, um, for being negative and for being sarcastic because those are not positive and encouraging virtues. And a, a Christian is always supposed to be positive and edifying. And so when I, when I am uh, satirical and sarcastic about something, then that makes me the bad guy again, because I'm not being kind. You know, one of uh, the funniest bits, of course, uh, and we'll get to that, is the one when you, I saw it on Dry Bar again. I've seen it live, and the Three Little Pigs thing, you know, and that is one of the best well-written bits in comedy is just and when you hear it and i want everybody after the show to go and watch it uh three little pigs by john brennan and you know a lot of times when you hear a funny funny bit you go okay man this guy how did he think about it but if for you when i hear it it's not just how you thought about it it's how much work you put in it and how much time you invested in it and how you memorized it and then still able to deliver it and with the whole emotions and character and all that just a brilliant brilliant this you know 200 years from now people will still be watching it and i think it's going to get to the point where nobody can share that three little pigs without <laughs> going wait i should do it in john brennan how much time did it take you to write this bit it took me a it took me a a few hours one afternoon to to basically transcribe the three little pigs into that language and then it took me a took me an afternoon to memorize it i didn't have it very well the first time i did it but i've gotten i know it now but when i first started performing it i didn't have it memorized real well how long ago did you write it uh that's a great question it's been a it's been years now. Time flies. Uh, doesn't seem like that long ago, but uh, yeah, I guess it's been seven, seven years, maybe seven or eight. Been a long time. So, and so you're still performing, right? Are you? When's the last time you were on stage? December. December. Oh, oh. Are you retiring like Tim Hawkins, or you're not? <laughs> not on purpose. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Tim Hawkins did it on purpose. No, I'm I'm re I'm retooling. I think what I'm what my emphasis is going to be. I, I don't I do not expect that this virus uh, and these lockdowns are going to are going to go away. I think this is going to be a, the thing um, for the rest of our lives, and I don't think that it's wise for me to. Uh, to put all of my income into having having shows on the calendar that could disappear literally overnight, um, mm. and so I'm trying to establish a more uh, more of an online uh, more of an online presence. I'm trying to do more uh, teaching teaching writing and comedy and creative creative writing and things like that. I'm doing a a weekly show on. Uh, YouTube and Facebook, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing uh, devotionals on a, I think probably a weekly basis with the idea of, of doing a, just kind of a, kind of a, philosophical and uh, and theological weekly devotion because I I think one of the one of the problems that we have in this in the world is that we've got a a bunch of Christian people who don't understand what Christianity is. Uh, they think they know, but they're not professing Christianity. They're professing mm -hmm. something else. And 
that is the result of biblical illiteracy and caving into political correctness or critical theory. And so I'm I'm seeing my role as more of a uh, more of an advocate for for just basic Christian theology. Um, mm. And so, is there we'll money see. in that? Is there money in those things online or? Uh, there's not a lot of money in it, um, but I've been fortunate enough that the last the last ten years or so, I've had a steady enough work, and, and I've been at a level in my career where I was making uh, a lot more money than I needed to stay alive, and so I've socked away that money um, and and paid off. You know, I don't have a house payment, and I don't have a car payment, and I don't have any credit card debt. And, and I just, all I need to do is pay my monthly expenses. And so I don't have a colossal financial burden that I have mm -hmm. to take care of. Um, and we'll see. I mean, it may be, it may be God wants me to go flip burgers. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think this whole coronavirus, what's on the news? Because honestly, I'm, when I'm watching the news, I'm going, Ah, do I, you know, ah, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? Is this really going on? Or is there something behind it? Uh, could it be that bad? Or is it this for election reasons and stuff? What do you, what's your take? What's John Brennan's take on the whole thing? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how serious a threat it was to begin with. Um, but I, I don't think that the I, I don't think that the threat now this many weeks in this many months in I think we have uh, some some data that we can look at and places with high populations of concentrations of people New York Los Angeles places where there's millions of people living in tight quarters yes they needed to be they needed to have some parameters set up so that they kept from giving it to each other and overwhelming the, the system and all all of that's fine. But now, uh, if you, I, I, there comes a point where you have to look out your window and you have to say, okay, what's going on here in my part of the world? I, I know what's going on. What I hear is going on in Italy and what's going on in, in Los Angeles. I hear about those things, but I don't live there. I live here. And so I have to look out my window and go, okay, what do I see? I don't see, I don't see bodies piling up in the streets, you know? And so I'm, I am going to go, I'm, I'm going to get back to living life. Um, because the truth is that before we ever heard of coronavirus, we were passing germs to each other. I mean, we are doing that all the time. And, and a person who believes that there is a purpose uh, that there's a God in heaven and he has created me for a specific purpose. Um, I don't think that his plans are going to be thwarted by mm -hmm. me wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. I don't think I have that much power. Um, and so there just, there comes a point where, where my faith has to be the thing that sets my precedent, not, not the people who are going to gripe at me for not wearing a mask and not the people who are going to gripe at me because I'm choosing to wear a mask, but it needs to be, okay, what do I genuinely believe the right thing is? And what I genuinely believe the right thing is for me looking out my window right now is that it's time to get back to, uh, to, to living life. It's time to get back to going to church. It's time to go back to restaurants. It's time to, it's time to start connecting with people again, because this, this, you know, these, these video conferences and video church and video everything is, is it cannot last for the rest of our lives. We're, we're made to be together and connected with each other. And this is not, this is not good for us for extended periods of time. You know, it's uh, yesterday I spent seven hours at the DMV, Department of Motor Vehicles, and I was just so angry that I couldn't even think of new material <laughs> like I'm like there's something funny there but you know before it was like the DMV people were angry frustrated tired don't want to be there now you add to it they're scared of you and you have to stand and nobody John for seven hours nobody talked to one another unless 
someone and his wife or someone with his kid are talking to each other. But to talk to someone stranger, nothing, nobody. I was like, when did Dr. Fauci say that you can't be nice, you can't smile, you can't be kind, you can't do that? So that's all that taken it. All the kindness are taken out out the window. But I don't know if that's the case in Indiana or is it just California where people are too scared? No, it's everywhere. It's 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 everywhere. That's part of the problem is that we've treated every every place like it's Italy. We've treated every place like it's New York. Um, and we have take and we have treated everybody, every single human being in this country is assumed to be infected. Uh, and that's not good. We're, we've, 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 we've taken all these millions, hundreds of millions of healthy people, and we have convinced them that they're going to kill people that they love if they go to church, if they don't wear a mask, if they shake hands. And that's not good. That's, it's, it's not true for one thing, um, and the other thing is those of, those of us who, those who think that it's true, it changes their behavior. It changes the way they interact with those of us who don't believe that it's true. You know, it, it's, it's tearing the fabric of civilization apart because we, as you said, we're afraid of each other and we're hostile towards each other. We have now, we, we've painted it, and I know it's this way in California, if you go out without a mask, you are aggressively trying, or you don't care if you kill people. And we have told hundreds of millions of people that they are reckless and they are endangering their fellow citizens just by going to church, just by singing a hymn. Uh, uh, you, you wrote, you, you, you write a blog and it's, I read it and it's funny and it is political. I mean, it's surprising to say you stay away from that. But that blog, and you were talking to, I think the last blog you wrote about we're not allowed to laugh anymore because we can't, first we can't sing. Well, I have a show every night, Greek night called Live with Naz. Ever since, like in two days, it'll be show 100. So every night, weeknight, what I do on Facebook, on my personal Facebook, I started just as a trial, like, hey guys, we're all bored. Let's start something in March. Right. And people start coming in. And what I said, okay, well, I ran out of my material within five days because that's five hours of comedy. So I started asking the audience, hey, what do you think? What's the funniest name for a plumber? Like last night I said, give me a bad name for a vaccine. And people was just, the, the people start becoming funny and they're the ones who are doing the jokes. So now 98 shows later, it's the people who are coming with the funny jokes and I'm just, uh, you know, just monitoring them and just giving them at the end. I ask for prayer requests for them and and give a little devotion. But that's just been the thing that kept me personally sane. Uh, but what do you what do you what do you. OK, let's say John Brennan is in charge of the CDC right now. What would you <laughs> as a comedian? Did you, by the way, did you write anything funny about? Oh, wait, wait! I am ADD. I went. I want to go back to the first the question before that, which is, you wrote the blog about you can't laugh at church. So we did the the one about you can't sing. And I said, what would you do if you get arrested singing? And people say, well, I would say I was rioting. People say I was just uh, talking to my other five personalities. So people were coming with funny stuff. What is this true that they came up with? You can't laugh at church or you made that up? No, I made that up. <laughs> It'll be true. Someone will read it. If our governor right. in California read it, he would probably will say, yeah, let's do that. Oh, well, I've been I've been dabbling with writing some satire for the Babylon Bee. And oh. one of the things that's distressing me about these times is that satire is getting harder and harder and harder to do because real life, the, the real life headlines are satire or so very close to it. Um, and so to, to take, you know, to try to find something that's outrageous and, and write about it is it's difficult because it, because we are literally insane now and our headlines are reflecting that insanity. So that's true. So, so you wrote something about the Sports Illustrated. Where it's, is that your bit too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sports <laughs> Illustrated swimsuit edition. 
doesn't have anything about sports or swimsuits and there's no illustrations in it because all of <laughs> all of those things are offensive to somebody so that's funny now anything uh while i'm talking to you i'm trying to see if people ask any questions uh uh let's see we have several physicians watching and several friends and several people from the show and uh, let's I'll, be, I'll bet the physicians questions. would be happy to see me be the head of the CDC, wouldn't they? Yes. What would you do? Let's say John Brennan is Fauci right now. What what would you do? What would you say? What kind of rules would you give? And you can if, be funny if you want. Well, it, if I was the head, if I was the head of the CDC, I would I would immediately if I was the head of the CDC, I would immediately bring in um, some economists, some, uh, some teachers, you know, some educators, uh, some people who are involved in the in military, uh, some people who are involved in law enforcement. I would bring in some, some people from other walks of life. I would bring in some, uh, some industry people, some people who were in, in charge of, uh, of fabricating things, of distributing things. I would bring all of these people in and I would say, okay, what do you guys, what can we do to, to manage this, this uh, pandemic and, and not drive you out of business? Um, that's what I would do because I, because the, the CDC the, and, and Fauci has been has been focused on one particular aspect of this crisis, and that is flattening the curve. It's, it's, it's trying to keep the uh, virus from spreading as much as possible and overwhelming our our healthcare facilities, which is a great thing to do. But it's only one aspect. It's just one thing to think about. Uh, that you've also got to think about how you keep an economy from just collapsing because if the economy collapses it really doesn't matter how many people have the virus uh right. because we're we're do we're done if we if we, if the economy collapses then it's it's over um and so i would i think that we've been too too focused on one aspect of this pandemic to the exclusion of all of the other all of the other things that are in play here it's a very complicated issue so now you have children and you have grandchildren. Is there a clash within the home about what's going on in our country right now or how? Because you find out that the younger generation is going. Um, I'm telling you, I have in my house, I have I call them Gen Y and Gen, Gen Z. I don't call them by their names anymore. My kids. And there's always that conflict like, ha. Ah, you can't think like that. You can't leave the house. You can't do this. No, this is everything they're saying is true. And, <laughs> and so are you having that kind of conflict at home? Um, not really. My kids are all adults and, and they're, uh, we, ha we haven't really had much of a conflict in our family as far as person to person. Um, and if, when we do, we have a conversation about it. And so in our family, if somebody comes once, you're free to say whatever you want. If you've got an opinion or a point of view, you know, go ahead and, and voice it, but you have to defend it in our family. And so if somebody comes up and says something like, we ought to be able, you have, everybody has to wear a mask because you're, you're going to kill people if you don't. Well, that's fine if that's your position, but we are going to have a conversation about that. And we're going to ask some questions like, are you going to wear a mask forever? Or is there a, is there a cutoff point when it's not going to be necessary anymore? And when is that cutoff point? And why are you wearing a mask? Uh, why are you wearing a mask and not a full body, you know, uh, hazmat suit? Why is it, <laughs> why is it just a mask? And, and if masks are 100% effective uh, at stopping the spread of this virus, then why don't we go ahead and open everything up? If we're, if everybody has to wear a mask, um, or if you wear a mask and that's going to prevent you from getting the virus, then why do you have to make everybody else wear one? If it should be enough, if it's 100% effective, you're wearing a mask should solve the problem. Um, <laughs> but those are the conversations that we have, so. Have you written anything 
comedic like a bit about after the pandemic relating to the pandemic anything that you wrote um i don't i don't think so i've i haven't written any post pandemic uh bits yet because i guess i don't know i don't know what it's going to look like after the pandemic um i've, I've gotten I, I i don't know nazareth if i could even do my act right now i've got a i've i've got a potential show that's probably going to get yanked away at the end of august but if that show comes down the pipe and i actually wind up doing it I, i'm going to have to brush up on i'm going to have to watch my old dvds because i i do not remember how my act goes it's been that long it's funny um, because uh, i did in mid-may last show for me was in maui on march uh, 14th that next day, I did, oh, I came home. I did like a couple men's conferences with less than 250 people each event because that by then they had, then they shut everything. The next time I went on stage, actually, I went to Daystar in Dallas. And by the way, they do want comedians to so contact them. And uh, okay. I, I, and they said, you're going to do it. I said, can you get me some audience? Uh, all the staff, get everybody in the studio to sit in the, in the chairs. So at least I can perform in front of them. But before that, I, I was just going through my whole act, like watching my YouTube videos at full length and remembering the jokes and all that. And uh, so, and then I didn't perform till last week. I had to do like a, a Kiwana, not Kiwana, like one of those uh, clubs, you know, uh, where there's like about 50 people and they were all, they weren't wearing masks, but they were about like 10 feet away from me. And I was just so excited to see a live audience because we did the whole, you know, the whole Zoom comedy and that, yeah, it works. But to see real people laughing, man, my timing was off. My timing was off. It's like, man, it just, this just took like 10 years out of our comedy experience and we're going back. So yeah, just watch a couple of shows. I have three shows coming up in August and I called them and they said, yes, we're doing it in Oklahoma. And then I have in September three shows in Wisconsin and they say we're keeping them. So, you know, that would be good because I'm not, I, I didn't, I didn't save money. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't live within my means. So now it's like, oh, wait a minute. But, you know, we, we're, we're covered, praise God. But uh, yeah, you got to. So now what is your take on the whole rioting? <laughs> <laughs> See, I go left and boom, come back. <laughs> What's my take on rioting? Uh, I, I am not pro-riots. Okay. Uh, I think the riots, I, I, I think the riots are a sham. I don't think that there's anybody throwing bricks through windows or setting cars on fire that is actually standing up or making a statement for any sort of political, religious, or cultural uh, cause. I think they are, I think they're just anarchists. I think they're just, uh, they are the Joker in the Batman movies who just want to watch the world burn. They have, they have no particular agenda. They have no convictions. They are just uh, agents of chaos. Um, and they are, they are sucking in some of the more gullible young people uh, who who believe that they are standing up for uh, racial uh, equality or for oppression or standing up against hatred or they're anti-slavery, but they're not. That they are just tearing things down. That's all they're doing. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. So the whole Black Lives Matter, what is your take on that as a comedian? On, on the concept of, or, or the statement that Black Lives Matter, I agree with it. Um, but as, as we talked a little earlier, if I was to say that I believe Black Lives Matter because I believe all human lives matter because all humans are made in the image of a divine God, that is where I would I would outrage a number of people in the Black Lives Matter movement because I have outraged people in the Black Lives 
matter movement by saying that very thing. And so I believe that Black Lives Matter, I believe the Black Lives Matter movement is a bad thing um, mm -hmm. because it's putting us at war with each other unnecessarily. Nobody who says black, nobody who says all lives matter is saying black lives don't matter. And they're not there. It's, it's a lie. It's it, it, to, to be at each other's throats like we are based on the color of our skin, which is critical theory. Again, it's the, the people with a certain skin color are oppressors and people with another skin color are always the victims. That is not Christianity. Christianity says that there is no Jews or Greeks anymore. There's no men or women anymore. There's, it's just, it's just souls created equal in the eyes of God, and that's it. And the Black Lives Matter movement is about uh, flipping or twisting that narrative. And it is saying to Christian people, no, uh, it is not enough to be uh, a child of God. It is not enough to be equal and child of God. You who are oppressing, um, you also have to pay restitutions and you have to ask for forgiveness for this sin that you don't even know you're committing. It's not Christianity um, because there's no way to atone for our past sins of slavery and racism. We will never be forgiven for that. And the scripture says emphatically, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And as soon as you confess your sins, God removes them from you as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. And if God doesn't remember our sin anymore, then there's not an organization on earth that should remember our sins. <laughs> That's that's a good take on it. I love that. Uh, now, I had a question from someone there about uh, what do you call it? Uh, they want to be a comedian. And I know uh, the some people don't know about the Christian Comedy Association. We've been around and you were also you were from the founding days of this this organization. You were you were in it. We were together and you did a lot every time we were asking when I was president someone to teach people how to write comedy and how to start, you are the one who's, I, I consider one of the best writers. Now, what do you tell someone who just starting wants to, I don't know if anybody even wants to do comedy now after the coronavirus, but if someone said, I want to be a comedian or I want to write funny, I want to do that. What's your advice for them? Uh, First thing you have to do is you have to take an honest evaluation of your, uh, your sense of humor. Um, and the, the easiest way and the fastest way to get an idea of the uh, strength of your sense of humor is to ask yourself, when I talk, do people laugh? Do people laugh when I express myself in just in conversation? Do I have a funny way of talking and, and if you do, then people will laugh. Um, and if people come up to you and say, hey, remember that story you told a couple days ago? Tell that, repeat it again, because this person wasn't here and I want you to say, if people ask you to repeat things that you have said in the past, that is an indicator that they appreciate the way that you communicate. Um, mm. And so, but you have to be honest. There are a lot of people, when they, they decide that they wanna be comedians, they're not honest. And they say, well, God has called me to do comedy. And I have dozens and dozens and dozens of people over the years have come to me and said, God has called me to do comedy. And my question to them is, why would he call to you to do comedy when he didn't make you funny? <laughs> That's right. So if you're funny, um, if you're funny, then you can do comedy. The next step after you determine that you are funny is, is, paying attention to what other funny people are doing and saying. And I don't mean copying their material. I don't mean stealing their material. I mean, watching what they do, how they, how they hold their heads, the way that they put phrases together. Um, and when you, when you study those people, it will start to rub off on you. You'll start to notice patterns. You'll start to see, you'll start to see that, that comedy there are certain ways that it goes together. There's certain, there's certain formulas that, uh, that always 
get repeated and you start to pick up on those formulas. And then the third step is um, you need to take my course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you need to read my book. Um, so I have a, I, I put a system together for, uh, for creating comedy and I did it three or four years ago, but it's a, it's a really good system. Um, because what it does is it allows you to start writing on any topic or even without a topic. If you, if you need material, you don't even need to have a topic. Uh, my system is so good that you can generate pages of material with starting with a blank page and no idea. Um, you can still generate material. Where can you get that? It's, uh, it's online. I've got a book in, uh, in Amazon that's called oh. Life is Hardy Har Hard. Life is Hardy Har Hard. Yep. And, and that's about writing comedy. It's about writing comedy. How to, how to use comedy to make your life better. That's the subtitle. Okay. And uh, what about the system? Is the system in that the book? system is in that book. The beginnings of that system is in that book. And I'm doing a weekly thing called the Comedy Roundtable on my uh, website. Now, the Comedy okay. Roundtable is free for members. Um, and it is... Uh, it's it, every single week we, we we go a little deeper into the process of creating comedy. Um, but it's a thing that's it's very personal. There's not a one size fits all way of doing comedy. But I cover all of that in the in the course and in the book that it's a, it's very personal. And God has wired everybody up with a unique sense of humor, just like we have unique fingerprints. We all have a unique sense of humor. And so my way of doing comedy is not going to be exactly like yours. Um, and, but the, but the, the secret, the key to that is, is to, is to tap into your unique sense of humor and then, and then trust it. Most people don't trust it. Most people work way too hard to, uh, they work way too hard on their material. Um, the, the thing that you have to get first is your attitude. And, uh, and that takes some time and some, and some introspection. It's, uh, so how, how do you, how do you become a member to be able to watch the weekly? Uh, you go to my website and you click the, uh, you click the, there's a little button that will let you take you to the membership page and then you can, you can sign up you can sign up and be a member. Um, oh, that's easy. Yep, it's easy. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Speaking of blood, you got a lot of heat one time. There was this Christian entertainer who was doing very well in the Christian market mm -hmm. as a Christian entertainer. Woman's yep. name. And then somehow he was caught or found out that uh, he wasn't actually, he was uh, having a sexual problem and was hurting women and all that. And then uh, you responded, <laughs> and then you got a lot of heat, even though it, some of the stuff you said was making sense. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what was the response? What was it, it made sense at the time. There were people attacking the comedian because, or the entertainer because he was, uh, you know, like, took advantage of some women, invited them to his shows and took advantage or manipulated them or doing that. Right. Uh, what was your response that you got a lot of heat because of that? Well, I got the majority of my heat I got because I didn't think that and still don't think that the, that the celebrity was 100% to blame for the situation. The reason I got heat was because I dared to suggest that the girls who were being victimized um, were part of the issue, that they had, they had put themselves in a position to be uh, with this celebrity precisely because he was a celebrity, because he's funny, because they were attracted to him. And so their goal was to, to form a relationship with him. 
and his goal was to have a relationship with them. And so it was a, it was a grown up adult people knowingly and uh, knowingly entering into this this uh, arrangement where they were both trying to have relations with each other. Um, and the only the, the thing that I objected to and what got me into trouble was suggesting that that the girls also uh, needed to be uh, needed to be held accountable for the fact that they have now that now that they did not get the relationship that they were hoping that they would get from the celebrity. Now they come out and publicly uh, proclaim that he has abused them and taken advantage of them when I don't think that that's really what happened. I think what happened was that they were angry because the relationship didn't go beyond a one night stand or it didn't develop into some sort of long-term uh, commitment. And truth be told, they were, uh, they were both, um, they were, were both part of that. It takes two to tango is how it goes. And right. so, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to defend anybody, uh, any predatory behavior, but there was predatory behavior on both sides. If you're, if you are going to a celebrity's room by yourself and consuming copious amounts of alcohol unchaperoned, um, you're an idiot. If you, if you don't think that there's the potential for any sort of unchristian behavior to take place, um, and when said unchristian behavior takes place, to then be shocked um, that that this Christian man, who you know who, who professes all of these virtues, would behave such in such a way, it's just naive. It's dumb. And if if those girls were my daughters, I would have I would have said that very thing to them, because I did talk to my daughters about that, and uh, and they were actually. My daughters were actually the ones who, who sort of clued me into the idea that, you know, Dad, when a girl gets dressed up and goes to a, and goes to meet a man, um, she's always got something. She's not doing that just for fun. You know, there's a relationships. That's what courting is. It's going and and basically trying to woo each other, and so that. So men and women have been wooing each other for, since there have been people on earth. And so that is not, is not anything that's particularly evil or nefarious. It's people date each other, single people get together and date each other. Um, and so where the, where the problem is, is that once you, when you start to have second thoughts about that and when you start to feel embarrassed or ashamed because maybe you did something that you shouldn't have done, to then throw the other person under the bus and make it all their fault is not correct. That's, uh, that's wrong. That's a great point. So what do you think? What was, what was the people's response to you about that that didn't like it? I was victim well. shaming. Oh. I was victim shaming just because in their, in their minds, the, the girls were 100% innocent. They did nothing. They had been manipulated and overpowered by this uh, seductive celebrity. And I think that that is incorrect. I think that women also have a power when they, uh, when they dress a certain way and they fix their hair and they put on makeup and they and they get invited to a uh, to a man's apartment. That is testimony to the power that they wield, and so it's both. It's it's both people. Yes, and uh, so what do you think of leaders, Christian leaders, who do stuff wrong and stuff? Then they come and apologize, and then you see some Christian going, uh, "We have to forgive everybody. It's grace. Everybody show grace." But then there's the other people and go, uh-uh, nah, <laughs> this is, you know, that's it, you're done. Like you see so comedians like, uh, uh, you know, let's look outside the, like, uh, Louis C.K. I mean, he was taken out. He's still not back. 
But then you see some Christian pastors or leaders who do have an affair or do something bad and all that. But, you know, with it like, oh, I'm sorry. And they're back. What, what is what is your take on that? What do you think of people apologizing and expecting to come back right away? Um, well, I think that I think that fame and uh, influence is extremely dangerous in the hands of any particular, any one person. I think when any one person, whether it's a pastor or whether it's Louis C.K., when you have tens of thousands, if not millions of people who are literally willing to do just about anything you ask, that's a very dangerous place. I think you're in, I think you're in danger of losing your soul. And unless you are a, uh, unless you've got an, an unbelievably strong uh, faith and an unbelievably strong sense of humility that says, you know what, I'm not that big a deal. Mm. I think you're in danger of losing your soul because you're going to start to get to a point where you are, where you're above reproach. And, and unless you intentionally put yourself under the scrutiny of, of other people, unless you make yourself available to, to the criticism of other people, you will lose your soul. You will stumble. And, and these pastors, uh, the problem is that they ascend to the point where they become celebrities and they don't answer to anybody. Nobody, nobody speaks to them and says, hey, you're out of line. They, they reach a point in their church and then in the culture, even outside the church, if they have influence on social media, where nobody questions what they do, where they are 100% right. Every decision they make, every word that comes out of their mouth, every meme that they put up, it's 100% right. And anybody who suggests to them, well, that's incorrect. Well, that person is being uh, is tearing them down, is not loving them, is not respecting them. And when you live in a in a bubble where you can do no wrong, uh, you will uh, you will fall. I think the difference between Louis C.K. and a pastor or this Christian comedian that you were talking about is <laughs> <Was> that. <laughs> I think the difference is that Louis C.K. never even pretended to be a person of moral character. He never mm. pretended. In fact, he went up on stage and made a living being crass and vulgar and, uh, and obnoxious. And that was, how he, that was how he drew an audience. And so if you are a fan of Louis C.K., and you go into his room after listening to after listening to hours of his monologues, which is all sexual and deviant and 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 immoral. And you go into his room, and you're shocked to find out that he is an immoral person in real life. Well, then you're an idiot. And then to come out of that room and go, oh, I can't believe what he did. It's like. I, I wrote about that too. I said, you can't believe what he did. I can believe what he did. And I didn't even have to go to his hotel room. All I had to do was listen to him do stand up and I know yep. what he's about. From his comedy. Yeah. And so if you're gonna if if you're gonna be shocked that Louis C.K. is vulgar and crass, um, you're an idiot. I, I don't know how else to say it. And, and if we can't, if we don't have any discernment. If we're going to, if we're going to, if it's victim shaming to tell somebody that they should have known better, well, then that's basically the same as saying that, that they're an idiot. Because if you really don't know, if you, if you genuinely don't understand what the problem was with going up to Louis C.K.'s room, then you're an idiot. And, and it's, I'm not, I'm not shaming you to say that. I'm just saying the truth. And so the, 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 the kindest thing that we uh, can do for our fellow human beings is tell them when they are about to do something stupid. And if you, if you value that as a person who 
if you're a pastor, if you're a famous comedian, if you value um, your integrity and your character, then you will intentionally put people in your lives that will annoy you. If you're if you're a if you're a single co Christian comedian, um, and you have influence, in other words, you've got you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of girls that are coming to see your show because they're attracted to you. You need to have another dude in your room with you all the time. You need to travel with a dude who does nothing except get in the way of you trying to hook up with girls. I'm not impressed by you. And especially we had, you know, I had a pastor travel with me all the time. I'm not saying I'm handsome or I'm single, but you always have a pastor or leader or someone on your team that uh, travels with you and your road manager always have access to the green room and right. any place you go. Yeah. So that's a great advice. Yes. And so, yeah, you're right. So the other right. explanation is like when people, you know, in that case, the people think, oh, he's a Christian, he's a believer, so I'm safe. And right, right. And, and the, the same holds true if you are a person who is prone to be starstruck. And I'm mostly talking to girls here, I think, but whatever, I've already upset everybody. Um, <laughs> If you're a girl who is prone to be starstruck, then you need to have a big brother or a or a little brother might even be better uh, or a, or a friend, somebody who is not prone to starstruck to grab you by the hair if necessary and say, no, you are not going up to that room. You are not going to you're not going out to eat with this guy because there is a possibility that this person is a predator. And honest to goodness, if you're on tour, if, if the guy's on tour, if the band is on tour, what, do you, what kind of a relationship do you think is going to happen? All right. I mean, what, what sort of long-term relationship is going to happen when the guy is going to get on a bus and leave tomorrow? You know, you think, you think, he's gonna, you think you're going to fall in love and, and run off and get married tonight? It's not going to happen. It's just a mistake. Just go to the sh go to the concert, enjoy the music, enjoy the jokes, and that's the end of it. Don't don't think that's the person that I'm going to have a long term relationship with. You're, that's dumb. It's dumb. It doesn't work that way. Well, good. Well, you know what? It is funny. The hour has gone, and I would love for you to two things. Number one, I would love for you to just encourage the people who are wa listen, watching and going to be listening. Just give him some encouragement. A lot of him are anxious, scared, fearful. And also, I would like to know where can people get a hold of you? I normally don't like people to go to Amazon to buy a book. I would rather they go to the, to the author himself, uh, unless you don't have the books in your warehouse. I don't. Can you encourage <laughs> the people real, real quick? I don't. Yeah, uh, you can go to my website, johnbranion.com. And... Uh, B-R-A-N-Y-A-N. Look me up. Become a member. Join the Comedy Roundtable. Love to have you. Uh, and as far as encouragement goes, here's, here's the thing that has been encouraging to me for uh, a couple of years. And it is this. That when I wake up in the morning, uh, I only do so because there is a God in heaven. Scripture says that his mercies are made new every morning, and I believe that that is true. The instant that you return to consciousness in the morning, that was made possible only by God in heaven. So if you wake up in the morning, that is literally God saying, I'm still here, because none of us have the power to wake up ourselves. We don't even know we're asleep. You know, we can't wake ourselves up. So when you wake up in the morning, it's, it's literally God saying, I am still here. And I have a reason for you to wake up this morning. Now, we may not know what it is. You may, you may spend the whole day and still not know what it is. But there is a reason that you woke up this morning. Uh, and there's a reason for everything. As long as my heart is still beating and my lungs are still expanding and contracting, I'm not doing that either. That continues to happen while I'm asleep. And the only reason that that happens is because there is a God in heaven who's making it happen. And so whatever we're going through, 
all of this corona nonsense um, changes none of that. The fact that my heart is beating and my lungs are expanding and contracting is telling me that there is still a God making all of that happen. And yes, there's masks and there's people rioting and there's people wanting to defund the police and the whole world, not the whole world, but a big chunk of the world is insane. That's to be expected. Uh, we've been told in the scripture that, that there are going to be people who don't want anything to do with God. And when you don't want anything to do with God, you will lose your mind. It doesn't happen always immediately, but eventually it does happen. When you walk away from the source of reason and thought and love, you lose your mind. And that's called hell. And you make a choice whether you want to spend eternity there or whether you want to spend eternity with God. But the most encouraging thing I can say to those of you who are afraid for the future is that you woke up today. And there's a reason for that. Um, and it's because God is is making that happen. Amen. That's beautiful, man. I didn't know that about you. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me, man. I uh, I respect, highly respect you. I love the way you write comedy, the way you perform it. I want to encourage everyone to go watch The Three Little Pigs on YouTube with John Brennan. It's you will die laughing. It's, I mean, John, thank you so much. Hope we can work together again live and be together in one show. And that would be awesome. I would love be you, man. Send my love to your wife and your kids and grandkids. I appreciate you. Will do. Thank Thanks, you. Naz. Guys, and if you are watching, you know, remember every weeknight at 8.30 p.m. Pacific time on uh, my personal page, Comedian Nazareth One, we have a show called Live with Naz where you will be the comedian, not me. Love you. See you tonight and every weeknight. God bless. Thanks, man. <laughs>